Welcome to UberCube, the podcast where we discuss all things Cube, but with refreshments. This is your host, Anthony Adams, and I'm joined by my other host, Stu, and uh, thank you for listening. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back, actually, uh, recording again. I've had a bit of a back injury, and uh, we're back from KubeCon, so excited to start content going again. Yeah, Stu couldn't quit me, so we decided to bring him back on the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have an interesting episode today where we're going to discuss the erosion or evolution of Magic the Gathering in in direct correlation to Cube and what how the the growth of Magic as a game now that we're at the thirty year mark and what has changed and how that has impacted both Cube curation, Cube design, and for players out there trying to play your brand new cubes. But before we get into this meta based discussion, we're gonna do the thing that we always do here at UberCube. We're gonna enjoy our refreshment of the show, Stu. We are. I have. It's called the Hazy Beer Hug, and it's by Goose Island Beer Company. It's a hazy IPA. This bad boy, six point eight percent. It kicks like a mule, but it is delicious. And yeah, it kicks like a bear because these have cute little kicks bears. Like a bear. on, cute little bear. bears on it. And I am having the Goose Island Secret Bear Hug Hazy IPA, and this is a six point five. So we'll see how this goes. So let's go and pop these bad boys open. All right, let's kick off to our topic. Stu, would you mind taking the helm here, please, sir? Okay, so as Anthony alluded to, there's been kind of a erosion, evolution in magic. And over the years, sort of the colors have kind of shifted around a little bit. Things of certain abilities have kind of moved around or transitioned or have become just available in other colors, right? So... Part of what we wanted to talk about today is sort of the paper, rock, scissors approach. Um, not necessarily always necessarily to cube, but sort of a, a magic theory in general, right? And it is the archetypes versus each other, like this trifecta, this triumvirate of, uh, of archetypes, like not specific, but that just sort of conceptual, cover everything. 40,000 feet. Conceptual, in the air. exactly, right, right. that 40,000 feet, right? So we've got the classic aggro. Right? Yep. Aggro, put creatures down, turn them sideways, swing. Generally, tough for control to deal with aggro because you're, you've you only got a limited number of counter spells unless maybe you reach like a board sweeper or something. It's pretty easy for an aggro deck to overwhelm a control deck. And let's go a little retro here and let's, uh, let's give the listeners something to envision. Think Savannah Lions turning sideways exactly. and you have counter spell in your hand. Yep. That counter spell's great when there's something on the stack, but not so good when there's a bear that's beating you in the face every turn, even if it's just for a couple of damage. So then we have the mid-range, right? So this is a bit of a combination of things, right? If you look at sort of a... Look at a classic, like... And this is not cute, but I'll look at like a classic Jund mid-range, like a modern Jund range. Right. Jund mid-range, right? So you've got removal, right? You've got terminate. You've got disruptive spells, Colagon's command. You've got planeswalkers, Liliana of the Veil. You've got beaters in everybody's favorite, Tarmogoyf. And I think that traditional four 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 four, I would plug that in there as well too. Yeah, just that big old straight up green giant brick wall. Yeah, but mid range, obviously, think bear hug. Yeah, and designed to have a suite of answers, right? right as right. well as the creatures to be able to take you over the finish line, right? And then we have control. And there we have like the classic permission based magic, right? right so right, it's right. play a land past the turn. I want to prevent you from 
not necessarily doing anything, but certainly I want to choose my targets carefully, but I want to watch out for you, you know, I, I at least have a basic understanding of what my opponent's deck does. I know what his or her power Even plays are. Even a counterbalance tip-o type I, of thing. Yeah. Something knowing what to... their power plays are, knowing what is going to put their deck yeah. over the edge. Those are the things that you're that you're obviously going to want to deal with and then throw in some card draw, board sweepers, so on and so forth. And actually, something that I've learned, and this is a, a little bit off what we originally talked about or originally off the, the subject of this, was you don't actually need a, a win con in control. A lot of the 60-card matchups, they kind of have win cons, but then they don't have a win You con. can just wait them out. You just kind of win. You just kind of win because your opponent's got four lands and, like, no cards in hand. And you've got six cards in hand and seven lands, and like I can win. Yeah, eventually. but in, in cube we but, want them to keep, continue playing, Stu. So we really have to want our player to continue and exactly. and want to continue and the this match. This is so. where this is where obviously you've got a lot of differences in those sixty card um, constructed decks than you do right. like a cube deck. You're you're going to have there's always going to be ways in cube for someone to win, regardless of the kind of archetype that they're driving. Right. So the paper rock scissors concept is what we're talking about. Just. And then combo is the outlier here. Or does control manage it? Or is aggro managing combo? I think if I'm playing a combo deck, the one deck archetype that I'm going to want to play the least against is certainly a control deck. Um, because typically, with like you look at something like Storm, for example, right? Combo decks tend to be a bit more glass cannon than other archetypes. And therefore, you get that one or two pieces of that combo that gets cannoned or removed, you know, whatever the case may be. It, it can be pretty problematic. So what we're trying to get you to envision here is basically the framework or the shell of the cube that you're designing. And you can use that trifecta or that triumvirate, as was discussed by Stu, as a design mechanism to begin the initial balancing phase of your cube idea. Conceptually speaking, before you start laying something to paper, this is the thought process that people run through. What's going to be my aggro suite? What's going to be my control suite? What's going to be my mid-range suite? And am I going to include some form of combo or synergy that are going to either trump or fall in for the cuteness effect, uh, if you will, right? So that sort of begs an an interesting question as well, right? So obviously, everyone who's listened to our podcast for a while knows that, yes, I have a a, a cube that I've been curating and designing for about four years now, not really, maybe six months, but I've got at least 12 cards that I've added so far. Um, And Anthony is the curator, right? So here's a bit of a, a question. This wasn't planned. You're someone that takes that 40,000 feet approach when you're designing a cube, right? right? You're looking at the color schemes. You're looking at, you know, the theme that you want to build around that kind of stuff, right? Do you sort of put circles in between and around and through, like, those archetypes when you're building a cube? So you want, like, okay, do I want aggro supporting? Because I know I've spoken to other cube curators, and they've said, nah, I kind of don't want, you know, X archetype to be included, right? So Storm is the classic from, like, a vintage cube perspective. But I've also talked to people who have said, ah, I kind of want to get away from just, like, five-color good stuff, which I would I would more put towards, like, a mid-range. Um, but how do you look – how do you take that approach as a cube designer where you're looking at and, – and I think those three are, are a great starting point. Obviously, you can expand from that. But I'd like to know from your perspective, where do you start that approach of trying to fit those archetypes together and how evenly are you trying to put a distribution together when you're building a cube? So I'm a top-down design type of person. So I think of an idea and then I have to either shut my brain off or execute the idea. So, for example, I just theorycrafted a chess-based cube and it's going to be a battle chess cube. So I'll kind of explain that process, that that framework. So it's going to be a black and white. So the first thing I did is came up with a conceptual idea. It's going to be black and white. Sleeves are going to be black and white. They're going to 
mixed together, etc. I'm going to have to have knights. I'm going to have something that represents rooks. I have to have something that represents control, etc., etc. Then I have to find pieces that fall into those places. So I work it kind of backwards. I come from the top of the idea, and then I move the pieces to the idea. Opposed to going, I need, here's, uh, I'm opening up my binder, aggro cards, aggro cards, aggro cards, open up my binder, controls card, controls card. I don't do that. What instead I do is, okay, I'm going to have a certain amount of knights. I already penciled it down. Uh, chessboard's going to have this many pieces. I believe it's 32. It is correct. It is 32. Did I pass? You I did go, eight pawns. I know. I stared uncomfortably. I stared uncomfortably from over there. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And then I have to have something that represents each one of those key pieces in that framework. So once I found the pieces, then I decide which archetypical 40,000 feet in the air designation that I get. Is this uh, an aggro creature because it's uh, low efficiency, attacks hard, attacks fast, or is it falling more into a mid-range subgrouping? And I start parsing them out that way, and that's how I start doing my initial cuts on my idea before I even put pen to paper. So do you group them in like multiple categories as well when you're designing it? So this to me, and again, like I like to look at all of the podcast episodes that we do when we talk about Cube. Again, I'm not a curator, but I like to learn from the people who are smart at building cubes, which is a lot of people that I know. Uh, and shout out to all the amazing conversations again that we had at KubeCon with all the wonderful curators over there. It was great to get that kind of perspective because not just from someone who's looking to get into playing a cube or building a cube, but also someone who wants to develop more as when I'm drafting a cube, right? I want to be able to look for those pointers. I want to be able to sort of read things as I'm drafting, right? It's great to be able to look at a list on Cube Cobra and sort of kind of identify it that way. But, you know, there's something... So, so when I'm taking those pieces and I'm moving around, I'm using kind of like a development of a Venn diagram. Yeah, that's ex- that's what so I was looking I'm for. Moving, I'm moving them yeah. around. And then it's also showing my cross-pollination points and my basically where areas by sect into what grips or if i've got an oversaturation of an idea too much aggro uh too much burn and i start putting them in venn diagram slots but i'm I'm not doing that to not get that fancy when i'm typing it out i'm either drawing it out or i'm literally laying the cards out and standing up like a weirdo my wife will walk in (laughs) i've got my office my entire floor is vacated covered in magic cards and i'm sitting there walking around like i'm just solving the da vinci code but she's like you're a dork and she slams the door but that's that's kind of that's kind of what i do that's my process that's, right. that's what i enjoy it's super weird but i enjoy it i mean i get to do a, a commander deck just like i've got a large mouse pad but that's pretty much all the space i need for only 100 cards or 60 cards we call it the magic room in my house which is uh, yes. my wife grits her teeth and she makes that statement but i don't know have you posted to, you need to put some pictures of that room on the social <laughs> it's super clean now super clean cards, we got we got the in-laws like, coming into town tomorrow oh, so it, it doesn't look like it normally does it doesn't like a mad scientist lab right now, but we've we've digressed. Back so to- let's let's talk about the colors, right? Because let's go all the way back to the history and the origins of magic, the pillars of magic. Nineteen ninety three, nineteen ninety three. Yes, back so in the, back in the OG. Days. So now that we've built this kind of that using that basic framework of the agro and the mid-range and the control and how they work together in correlation. The other ideas that we use, or at least what represented, and we'll use our 1990, everybody put on their 1993 brains for those that were here. And I was what, what each piece of the color pie at that time yeah. represented to the players. And what we've written down here is a couple of ideas. So we'll, I'm going to start with white. There are a couple of key pieces, right? Yeah, a couple yeah, yeah. of key identifiers. They're identifiers. They're, they're yeah. kind of, they're, the monikers get attached to these when people, when you're playing a white deck, this is kind of the top level what a player can expect they might see within said deck. And we've become exactly. quite used to that, right? Yep. Until, until 2020. But we'll come back to that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're, let's start with white. So white 
as a color represents law and order and compassion. And I would say, actually, one of the cards here that we're going to talk about, I think, just sums it up perfectly. It does, in fact. And the associated attributes of said color white, at least circa 1993, were kind of life gain, vigilance, yep. prevents damage, yep. those type of ideas. And that's what that's what the cards kind of as themselves played into. You know, he had a few interesting cards that may have had some form of first strike, which was oftentimes attached to white. Mm-hmm. But now that I go through that list... That's kind of what you came to expect with the color white. That the creature yeah. was the creature was going to have first strike, maybe, or vigilance, vigilance, or when it entered the oh, battlefield, it was going to gain life, or vigilance. the spell made you gain life, or yeah. the spell prevented damage. Yeah, it was it was basically law and order yes. and compassion, yeah. all in a nutshell. It was just it was very sanguine. It was yes. very yes, right. And then we move over to the card that I used in each one of these. We've represented each key piece of the color pie with this initial. I think is the card that best represents it was healing salve. And for one white, you get an instant or one planes. Choose one, target player gains three life or prevent the next three damage that would be dealt to target creature or player this turn. If you could ever pick a card that just represented the idea of compassion and the, and the idea of initially of white and yep. what it represented, that would be the card. Yeah. And this, so this, chill out. This dude. created this, why are this. You, why are you attacking? All right. Look, yes. there's just everyone have a bit of life. All right, that thing over there that's, 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 you know, giving me grief and aggro. Like, look, just to stop that creature. Let's talk about this. And the, and the next card that we've chose to represent this would be balance, which balance. is very law and order oriented, yes. right? And what we're trying to do here is show this is the benchmarks that when the game first came out that, as I said, represented what this color does on its particular piece of the pie. Yeah. This is what players generally came to expect. Balance is such a wonderfully named card it as is well it when is. you when Tipping you look at it right yeah, because it, are perfect. It, it's it really does level the playing field right because yeah. everyone now has the equal amount of lands amount of creatures amount of cards in hand you know it's just it's it's beautifully named and uh, in my opinion maybe the most iconic white yes. card and we've now placed our first pillar representing white Stu, would you like to do the next pillar all right so the next color we're going to talk about is blue Everybody's favorite color. Yep. Not everybody's, but a lot of people's favorite color. So, knowledge, mm-hmm. methodology, mm-hmm. understanding, right? Disco- That's what discovery. Blue is about. Discovery, yes. exactly, right? That's what blue is about. And in the annals of magic over the years, what's a couple of cards that we can look at that the first one absolutely needs no introduction? Ancestral Recall. Yep. In my opinion, the most powerful card that's one ever been One blue, printed. draw three cards. Like, the, the, the thing that I love about Ancestral Recall. Obviously, we've discussed its power level ad nauseum. I know we had this conversation with at CubeCon with certain people who were like contract from below. I mean, it's an anti-card, so we're not going to include it in this conversation. But Ancestral Recall is so agnostic. You could walk up to literally anyone. Walk up to a Yu-Gi-Oh player or a Pokemon player and be like, hey, I know you might have never heard of Magic, but I'm going to ask you to judge this card. Tell me if you think it's a powerful card. Because at instant speed for one resource, you get to get three cards. That I would struggle to believe that anyone would be like, nah, do you really want three cards at instant speed? Like any time that you like? like well, not no. if you have two left in your deck. But <laughs> hey, maybe you've got Fast as well. Um, or Labman, whatever. Um, but obviously, it, it just really does epitomize what blue is about right i want more resources i want to be able to draw cards i want to be the permissive i want to have control and it's it's an incredibly egotistical 
It is. It is. It's a little presumptuous. It's It's incredibly presumptuous because, especially in a four-player game, which Cube generally is not, but you're now policing what's going on. Right. right? You're controlling the situation. And I play Blue. I like playing Blue, but I can certainly understand how it's kind of a frustrating color as well. So players have come to expect. Again, we're doing this pillar idea. We're benchmarking it from 1993 brains moving forward. It equals draw. It equals counter, equals bounce, and I'll go ahead and throw in some form of flying. Flying, right? absolutely. Yeah. I would associate blue. As far as the sort of the fundamental creature abilities, I think flying belongs to blue 100%. So, so it represents, if, if I said, hey, I'm playing a blue deck, these are the things that pop into players' minds. Yeah. He's probably got a counter spell. He's probably doing some form of flying, or he's going to counterbalance me. Correct. And it's just an expectation that has become attached to the idea. Yes. Or of our second pillar which is blue, which we're moving on to now our third pillar, which is going to be black. And it's going to be based around pride and ambition, greatness at any cost. That's it's right. going to be life loss. Sure. You only need one HP. You to only win. need one HP to win. It literally sticks with that whole, you only need, as long as there's zero and you're one, you win the game. That's, <laughs> that's very, right. that's very black in its central, central idea of the piece of the pie. Yep. And then sacrifice it doesn't matter. I'm willing to give up and trade off my creature to get yours. It has no problem with that. And the card that we've chosen to represent that best is going to be Dark Ritual. And for one swamp, you actually get an instant that adds three black to your mana pool. This is very powerful as well. We're using this as the benchmark pillar of this particular set, which pairs so nicely with this next card, which is truly disgusting. It's Pestilence. And I thought Pestilence was just another great card. I realized there's a lot of popper cubes out there still running this, by the way. You really shouldn't be running this, but I'm just going to I, I realized... <laughs> when, yeah, when you first mentioned that, I was like, really? Because it's it's a powerful card, but like, can one card like that be so problematic? Because yes. obviously you got to get... Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, again. Yes, again. Oh, yeah. It, it's absolutely disgusting. See our popper episode for discussion on pestilence. Yes. <laughs> but I, 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 I thought so. that these two cards best represented the idea of what you can expect as a magic player or a cube curator or a cube designer of what the color black as a as it encompasses. This is what you can expect that piece of the pie. I like that you've chosen these cards over some cards that I think might be a little bit more obvious, right? So right. something like Demonic Tudor might sure. be a little bit more obvious. Sure. Something like Dark Confidant might be a little more obvious. Yeah, I didn't want it like to be on the, the nose. Yeah, like those are power outliers as well, right? Plus these are in 1993. This is exactly. what set the tone of how we as curators, the belief system, what we've had in doc, we've been indoctrinated in this idea. This is what you expect this color to do. Yes. So what I'm doing is let's, we've now built our third pillar let's move over to our fourth pillar Stu, so, you mind taking it away our fourth pillar is red maybe red's the best not blue it's my favorite it's, it's red it's, it's my so favorite awesome. i love it so what is red it's passion it is it's impulse it's aggression it's my amour <laughs> <laughs> let the music take red is just is such a I love red, right? Anyone that knows that has has played with me, why that you know, regardless of the format, knows how much I love red, right? I'm I'm very few, I'm very format agnostic right. when it comes to the colors that I like. And right. red is like red, red may be my baby above all others, right? Maybe white, but I do like blue and black is awesome as well. And maybe you pretty much like all the colors. You just like Wilbur. Um, just give it up. I do, I do. But red is. What is what is red? What what do you think of when you when you Haste, think of red? Right, Haste, burn, burn, fire, burn, rummaging, like looting. Burn, right. That's yeah. the first thing I burn, think burn, of burn. because I think 
the most iconic card for red for me is lightning bolt. It is. It I is think red would be the one card that I would think of anyone anyway said like name the first red card that comes into lightning your brain. I'm thinking of lightning bolt, right? Yep. Rummaging, right? Looting, faithless looting, cards like that, right? right. Um those are the kind of cut, like the the kind of flavors. Exile because they, they it embraces the chaos. Exile when it, that, yeah, it's exactly. it's very chaotic. This color is going to be impulsive, aggressive, passionate, and so that benchmarks when I say, "Hey, Anthony's playing a red deck." Yeah, this is what you expect. And I don't care. This this cross pollinates into EDH Commander, etc. It does, and I kind of feel that before twenty twenty, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> I kind of feel that this is the one color that when I'm playing it right and. Again, I'm coming at this from a player's perspective rather than a curator's perspective, but this is my expectation when I play red. Certainly yeah. a mono red, but even if I'm playing red and splashing other colors, I am going to go more all out when I'm playing red than any other color. I'm dumping literally everything I can. Yeah. Like there's there's no holding back. Yeah. I, I just I almost feel like I'm 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 being like I'm cheating on red. I would go so far as to say that red can and people may disagree with this, especially for the exile portion and the discard expectations that red often has as you know, from a play perspective. Yeah. It can be the one that's the most difficult to grasp and learn. It's an advanced idea. And when we did our Art of the Discord episode, we specifically talked about that. That it's a skill that comes with time. Red is a hard and color red is, to play. Red is hard it's to play. It's a hard color to play because you've got to know because because the, the, generally the resources are very flexible in yeah. red and understanding where your targets are, what cards to discard, you know, do you discard that land or do you have that, you know, that extra two damage somewhere or maybe I need to get rid of that creature, but I really want to burn face right now. So a lot of, lot of trees in the decision making. Yeah. So red has now covered our fourth pillar and what we expect as magic players. Whenever we say I'm playing a red deck, you have preordained notions you can expect. Even if you see a red deck in cube, you know kind of what you should expect out of that deck. Let's move on to the next one, which is going to be green, and it's going to be nature and tradition. It's it's basically going to hold up the old ways. That's that's the the forty thousand feet, the holistic idea of what green represents yep. as a color, at least in 1993 moving forward. And it's going to represent your growth and your stompy decks and your ramp and your hex proof will even be kind of a non-traditional got attached to it later. And it started adopting death touch at a certain point. And that's more of a nature poison attribute, not so much as poison keyword, but rather it's just what nature does. Yep. And that's how they really built that. So you got a card that represents that, and it represents it so well, and it's back to our first pillar marker, and it's going to be giant growth. And for one forest, you get an instant. Target creature gets plus three, plus three until the end of the turn. It just makes things bigger. It's nature-oriented. That's right. And then the next we're going to use to represent this is regrowth. What else could speak nature and the idea of tradition better than regrowth? Uh, it's going to be for one colorless and one green. You get a sorcery. Return any card from your graveyard to your hand. What we use these is to benchmark the idea. So if you're saying, hey, Stu, Stu's playing a green deck. He's got Leatherback Bailoff in that deck. And Colonial Tusker. And Colonial Tusker. Dang straight. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's a shout out to JP. <laughs> See how many times I get an episode. Shout out, <laughs> he knows that I like to. I'm going to be throwing in that leatherback bail off suggestion and mention at every opportunity. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Hey, it's a four, five, or three manner, okay? It's not it's bad. It's not bad on Ray. But what we're trying to do now is we've done this top level. So let's let's walk back through this again. We kind of talked about the paper, rock, scissors, and how that is a curation point, a starting point. Yeah. Where if you want to use it, we realize it's imperfect. It's 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 got it's got fallacies to it. We acknowledge that. But you can start 
framing the idea. Of you have this to is, start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. You, you got nothing. It's, or you're just being a red player and it's chaotic development. Exactly. And then the next one is you kind of, when you start benchmarking, you're looking for your colors based on attributes that you've associated as a magic player. Us being started, I started in 96. Stu started out way later in his career. But we, yeah. I developed my ideas of how magic cards play based on the sets of the time. And that would have been Tempest and Exodus and 5th edition and 4th edition, etc. You know what's crazy about that point as well? Is you started playing so, so long before I did, right? And you're still better. That's not true. <laughs> um, but when you look at the sort of the, the scope and, and how magic has progressed and developed over the last few years, it's crazy that even myself, and I consider myself still quite a new player, right? Born of the Gods, it's a few years ago now, but not compared to someone like yourself who's been playing since, you know, since that long ago. And yet, when you look at the cards, the cards that were considered super powerful, right? Maybe not vintage power but you know card like questing beast back then i would have absolutely lost my mind about seeing a card like that came out back and, then. came out in el drain yeah, yeah came out very recently yeah. right it just goes to show where the cards are now compared to where they were three or four years and ago. before we when even, you look at a card like questing so beast. this has been a secret like a you know a secret card episode and we're gonna talk about questing beast but before we even step into that we basically set the stage of the expectations of the color wheel and the framework you use for design. So now ask the question. And now, and the only time, well, this was, a, I had someone add a piece of information today okay, that was interesting. Okay, perfect. Got some new input. And it was an interesting concept. So aside from what we expect the colors to do, the one exception that we have always made as Magic players is that we allowed the plane at which you were in at the time to also define and bend the rules because it made sense. Like, okay. for example, if you went to Zendikar, it was okay. You had waste and people accepted okay. it. And no one got mad. It didn't cause a complete revolt of the idea. When you start introducing a colorist mana form because it just made sense. Okay. So the plane, the storytelling, the, the world development, the wizards of the coast did such a great job of at the time. It allowed to set the stage that it didn't break my brain as a, almost at the time, I used to be this magic purist where I thought the, the pie pieces were not to be touched, right? So to the point that I was making is, aside from that fundamental idea of which each piece of the pie represented, the for me as a curator and as a magic player, uh, an enfranchised magic player, I did allow the storytelling to change the rules, if you will, right? Like Instead, I kind of accepted it because I do appreciate the idea of world building. But as a fundamental, as in the pillars of magic and what I expect, when I say you're playing a green deck or you're playing a red deck, I have expectations as to what I should, you know, Anthony is going to see in said deck. And then we move on to the creature that you alluded to a moment ago, Questing Beast, which is going to knock this out of the park. Yes. Stu, would you mind explaining to the audience what Questing Beast does? All right. So Questing Beast, two colors, two green, legendary creature, beast, it has... I mean, it's just word soup. Let's just get that out there, right? Yeah. It's insane how much this has for four mana. Vigilance, Death Touch, Haste, 4-4. Four, 4-4 four. Mm. Four, four for four is already like, okay, oh, it has Vigilance and Death Touch and Haste. Mm -hmm. It can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less. Any combat damage that would be dealt by creatures you control can't be prevented. And when Questing Beast deals combat damage to an opponent, it deals that much damage to target Planeswalker, that player controls the amount of just stuff 
Yeah. But this card does. Let's just ignore the fact that it's got all these little crossover abilities, well, right? Sure that gonna, we'll get sure to cover. Yep. But just the amount that this card does is just bananas. And actually, in one of our thank God, it's legendary. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah um we actually covered uh this card specifically in uh an episode we did recently with justin parnell where i brought this card up as like maybe this is one of the creatures the if not the creatures yeah. the linchpin for holding the torch for mono green aggro it is because it's 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 maybe the best piece of top end aggro that it's had like the the fact that it can't be blocked by two or less the fact that you know your creature combat can't be prevented the fact that it does deal that excess damage to planeswalkers it's it's super super powerful so let's break this down using the five pillars of magic that anthony defined for you we broke down each one of those colors and what we had an expectation and we're going to take questing beasts and we're going to let's dissect it amongst let's ourselves dissect it. let's get dissect it all right so first off we're going to talk about it has vigilance Okay. And as we declared before, that was a very white piece of the yeah, pie. Not very green, is it? It's not a very not, green. It's not trample. It's not a yeah, right. It's, it's not, not hex proof. Correct. It's not. I would a, as, if it had a very white attribute, so it, is. it just crossed over into that subsection of the yep. pie. Correct. And then the next we're going to have is death touch. Now I do realize that is a green because it's very naturistic, but it also kind of slightly crosses over into black's territory ever so slightly because green and black Golgari tend to share this idea. So I did want to benchmark that, that it's a little green, a little black, but I'd say mostly green because it is very nature oriented. Yes. Here's where it gets super weird though. It goes into red's territory. Not unprecedented. It has happened. It has happened. Right. But it just seems odd. On this creature. I'm yeah. not going to lie. It seems it's a, a sports little odd car. To this car is literally a sports car. Yeah. Yeah. And it has haste, which is a red attribute, cutting into that red piece of the curation pie. Yeah. Uh, the next one is kind of, it's the on rate. It's the very green thing. It's the 4 4 for 4 mana. It's on rate stompy. I mean, it's the leatherback Bayloth of the world. I know I mean, they're leatherback Bayloth was a 4 5. It was, yeah, that was, that was a bad example, but you know where I'm going. It's just green and get you there. But yeah, it is it's very mid rangey. I think you couldn't make this a 5-5 five, five for 4 with all those abilities, right? No, that'd be and, disgusting. But here's, here's a great question. The ultra legendary. Considering it's at the it's at the top end, right? Yeah. I, I would put this fairly close to the top end. If I'm playing, let's say, for example, an aggro deck in a fairly high-powered cube, I think this is kind of be going to want to be towards the, the top end. Yeah. Right? Could you play this if it was a 3-3? Three, three? Yeah. Could you? No, but four 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 allows it to survive bolt. That's I guess it that's does. the guiding that's the guiding principle here. It does. That's the litmus test that I'm going to use. The, I I would I, I don't disagree. I don't think it would be unplayable. As no, a it would definitely be playable. But to me, that's kind of how on the precipice a lot of cards like this can be, right? And yeah. especially when I if I'm thinking about if this was a three four, this would be still. If it a was very a three, viable, four, a very, very viable good. and powerful card. If it was a three three, I'm not, and I'm, I'm certainly not saying that it's unplayable. It starts moving or it out of power. It starts moving out of the highest powered vintage cubes exactly. at that point. Exactly. That e- even, any, or any cube. Any so that's cube a very green kind of idea. That's that tradition. Exactly. That's what they do. Is that trade off? The next one is kind of another piece. So let's break this one down. It was the can't be blocked uh, by creatures two or less. That's mostly a green idea, but that kind of gets over it's to that. Green. But that starts cutting into that little bit of that blue evasion. And a blue is the only one that's not going to... I'm really reaching for blue here, because blue I'm going to kind of define as the flying color, and I know white goes into that too. But evasion is something that white and blue like to do. 
Green traditionally uses trample as a form of evasion, whereas Questing Beast now has evasion based on power and toughness. This is still a green thing because it's overwhelming it. It's stomping it. So it we're going to call this a green attribute. I mean, it's basically... It's on, it's on the cusp. Would you argue that it's basically trample? It is scramble. It, it is, is scramble. It's scramble. Right. But yeah. it's only for scramble of creatures with three power or toughness because two power can't block. Correct. <laughs> but let's get into the next weird piece of it. It's the prevents all damage. That's piece. pretty nuts. That is a very red attribute. That's the anti-fog. That's you the, think so? It is. Uh, players can't prevent damage. I mean, literally every old school you think it's magic pure burn red. spell. You said it's That's pure a pure red, red idea. As okay. it can't be damage can't be prevented. Is a very red attribute. We've cut into red's pillar now. I suppose specifically damage can't be prevented. Yes, I yes. I, I feel like the other abilities are so soupy as far as. But yeah, I, it's you becoming. Know what, I this agree is a very 100%. muddled mixture. But what exactly. I want to do is take these out. So what I'm doing is I'm putting pins on the pillars of the magic components that this singular card is touching. Just we're dissecting this one card and by its design. Yeah. Even though it's legendary, it's getting away with literally breaking every piece of the pie. Correct. Out even outside of a, it's not using a, the planar idea that I used interjected before. It's just a storytelling. It's a fantastic thing, but what does it have to do with fairy tales? Except for it's a questing beast. It's op and it's just breaking the color pie. I mean, the but name is cool. It is very cool. The art the, is super. The awesome. next piece of it is it's it's excess damage to planeswalkers. That's also a very red rolling thunder type sure. of over overwhelming over that it, that kind of goes into trample a little bit more scramble where exactly. It's, it, but it, it's see it's getting reachy. So now we've got a card that's mostly touched into white. It's broken a green spectrum, blacks, and reds. Red. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not going to let it really get in a blue. I'm being a little reachy there, but you see with this card, this is one design that's now breaking the entire color pie, the spectrum that we talked about in the framework. What it should And now, have. where do you put this card in your cube curation development? Well, look, what it should have, this was a design mistake. What it should have had, it should have also had flash. And when it enters the battlefield, <laughs> counter target that been blue. or sorcery <laughs> yeah, spell. Yeah, and then it would literally just be all of the colors. It's just, it's just interesting how this mono green creature has so many attributes associated to the spectrum of the color pie. And this is how it basically starting to blow away. It's blinding out that pillars that we talked about and then you have to ask yourself and this is more of a magic meta question is this evolution of the game Inevitable. or is this erosion of the game as dr dr richard garfield designed it's a bit of both right because there's i don't know i, I almost feel a little dirty for saying this but there's only so much design space correct we just right? hit 30 years we did it's running right? out there's also you can, you're only ever limited by your own imagination, right? So all the people at Wizards of the Coast, all the, all the designers out there, they're only limited by one thing, really, and that is their own imagination, but not really, because do magic players, and maybe this is a, this is so meta, it's like way outside the, the scope of just cube, but how concerned are magic players, cube curators, anyone that's involved with the game, is it ever a concern? Has it been? Will it be? That either the just amount of stuff that magic has gets too much. Oh yeah, the saturation rate. Right, there. the saturation. But, of but abilities. you do have the. We're going off on of a keywords, we're going off on tangent fifty as we, we do here are. at Uberq. But it's a good point because, because you do have the ability, and I have been doing it personally. Where there's a new set that just came out, and this is a tangent, but this is relevant to what he's asking, is this new bro the Brothers War is just now coming out. Correct. And I have an artifact cube. Mm -hmm. And we just came back from KubeCon, and I received some very great intel and feedback from all the different 
players out there that told me this card's too powerful, this one's not strong enough, etc. But what I didn't get from them is you need to rebuild this entire cube. Brothers no. War is literally screaming, I could technically build a cube from Brothers War. But as a curator, I'm going to make, it's a 360 cube. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. There's probably about six, there's, there's three cards that are definitely bad. Six that can get updated and maybe nine if I just want to get some fresh and variety. But as a curator, you do have the option to not, uh, buy into the new squeaky toy, the new shiny thing every time Wizards of Coast prints it. I've started becoming more responsible in my curation. If it isn't broke, don't fix it is not a bad methodology because yeah. I don't want to unbalance. There's been a few on the watch list in that cube, right? And I think any curator will have, you know, kind of an idea like, yeah, maybe there's a couple of cards in this cube that I need to keep an eye on. And if, if I notice that next time it gets played that these one or two or three or four cards kind of get a bit out of hand, then sure. Okay. I can appreciate that I need to cut them, but you're right. And I talked to a few, I talked to pro players that were like, that were like you know what? I, I kind of feel like this is an avenue I could go down and this is how I would draft the cube, but it wasn't like, man, this cube sucks or, you know, it's so obvious that you need to draft this, this color or this archetype. So I think that's a good. In- so just because magic is breaking outside of the color pie expectations, even within outside of the normal planner idea of what we would excuse as magic players, it's okay that you basically time vault or lock your cube. Or you don't have to let everything in. You can just, you don't have to keep up with the Joneses is what I'm saying as a curator. Because for one thing, I can't afford to manage that level of (laughs) purchasing foils every month. But you get where I'm going with this. Well, there's your secret right there. Stop foiling out Stop foiling out your cubes. So it's going back to the questing beast is it's is interesting. I've read a lot of forums, stuff like that. A, lot, a growing number of curators have actually removed this creature just based on its power level. And then i got to ask Stu, do you think this card's too powerful for cubes? Because I do not. No. I think it's a perfectly serviceable card. Yeah. I think it just does everything I want it to do as a curator. I think it's interesting. It keeps people on their toes. And it kind of checks all those boxes back to that. What we were saying before with this paper, rock, scissors, this creature kind of does all of those things. And it breaks the color pie. Yes. It's such an interesting design. It's a great design. It's frightening that it's so great. Because now that breaks my brain on the curation that I was using with the Venn diagrams. Questing Beast, where do I put this? Right in the middle of the diagram? Even though it's word soup. Even though it it has... Haste, Vigilance, Death Touch, even though it can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less, even though it prevents combat damage from your creatures being prevented, this is how crazy it is. I, I, years ago, I'd have looked at that card. I'd be like, this might be the most broken card I've ever seen. Now I look at it and I'm like, this looks very balanced. I think it's amazing. I think it's very balanced. I think it's Which an incredibly so strange, balanced card. Because yeah. I think we've evolved as players as the game has as well. Have we evolved or have we just been brutalized by power <laughs> tree <laughs> to be like looking at a card with like 4,000 words on it and being like, yep, you know what? For four mana, that is perfectly fine. Or we're just accepting at this point. So let's move over to another card that I'm going to ask you to read that's really a new one that's been introduced that kind of breaks this wheel concept as well. So... I like that you've asked me to to read this card because I drafted it in our Dominaria United draft. And yeah, for the first time, Blue got some game. And this card that we're going to talk about is called The Phasing of Jalfir. It is a saga, which is an enchantment. Uh, and it's got this read ahead thing, which I think is pretty cool. So for anyone who's not familiar, you know with the, the, the sagas before, right? You start yeah. in chapter one, chapter two, yeah. chapter three. But these have read ahead. Which I think is so neat and flavorful. That's incredible. You can just start on anything that you like, right? You can start on chapter one or chapter two or chapter three. Here's the thing. Chapter three, Blue gets a board sweeper. 
Yeah, which is interesting. Not a bounce, not a mass not a bounce. bounce, not an evacuation. No, it's destroy, literally destroy all creatures. Now, for all creatures destroyed this way, its controller creates a 2-2 black Phyrexian creature token. And the chapters one and two are another non-land, uh, sorry, another target non-land permanent phases out. It can't phase in for as long as you control the phasing of Zalfir. So, I can actually, yeah, I can see like that. that there's some, you know, fun stuff you can do with that. It's just so interesting that it, so with the word destroy, we've kind of stepped into. And granted, we've had stuff like rapid hybridization and all that. I do realize the word destroy has existed on blue cards, right? But we've kind of stepped into not a sweeper though. We've kind of ju- yeah, mass destruction, is mass a little different. Destruction. not mass bounce, not just. So we've one. kind of stepped into the uh, the white and the black kind of, and we'll give a little bit of red. Would you say mass. that this is fundamentally? I, I would say this is fundamentally white because of Wrath of God. I would 100% say it right? minus and yes, can't, bl- can't could- be regenerated. Instead, you give them a bunch of Phyrexians. Exactly. But it, it is definitely a, it's stepping it over to another piece of the pie, which is showing how this game is really starting to... Uh, the, the, over time, now that we're at 30 years, that pie, these pillars that we've been talking about, they're slightly starting to erode. And then what I am, I am as a curator realizing that that's not necessarily a bad thing right now. It's, it's, it's innovation. Gives you choices. You have to have choices. And, then, and what we say is you can time vault. You can lock your cube. If you're not happy with it, you do an old border cube and you don't want uh, blue to ever have access to mass land or mass destructions. Which it me, now has. Creatures, which it now has. And granted, this is not the best cube card in the world, but it's just a little taste. <laughs> it's just a little you taste think? on that charcuterie board of what's coming in 2024 of how cards are now being developed <laughs> by magic. Or Wizards of the Coast that are now rolling out that are starting to really deviate from that Dr. Richard Garfield exceptionally balanced, beautifully orchestrated pillars that we yes. know as the, the color lines pie. are blurred. They're becoming super blurred. and becoming more so blurred. So and and, and uh, this one is a, a great example, right? One of the reasons why I like the fact that we use this as an example of these shifts is because honestly, I don't really think Blue needed a whole lot of help. No, right. blue, blue is definitely bleeding out. But this card is... <laughs> how playable do you think this card is? Like you say, is, it's this, not, is this a but, great but, cube well, card? Well, it, it is in a vacuum within certain cube curations where people might have an environment that fosters this idea. I, just, I don't particularly have, out of my six, a cube that would run this. But what I want to do is benchmark this as the idea of now, well, blue's got rafts. It's something, exactly. it's the new thing. It's not the questing beast anymore that has haste and vigilance and death touch and all this nonsense. Now we've got the color pie, literally everything now. That Venn diagram is becoming a circle now. And everything's just starting exactly. to fill in is a giant. What block. I'm hoping is that this, the, there's not this precedent that we're now getting set. Like you say, it's 2022, right? This is not a new thing necessarily that cards are crossing out of their own color identity and, and you know, getting these abilities that you would associate with other colors. But, and maybe this is just a personal hope of mine that I don't want this to be like, hey, we just kind of want you to get used to this exists and then there's going to be an acceleration of it down the line, right? Because I don't want it to be like two years time, there's four sweepers in blue for four mana. I mean, we've created at this point, and you know, I don't dislike any of these. I had that same level of not acceptance of, say, the secret layers when they first came out, The Walking Dead. But, (laughs) <laughs> or excuse me, I was the one that actually bought them and everybody else in my group got really upset because they're like, I, I had Rick, you know, and I'm playing Rick. And it I was killed first... Daryl on site. It was, yeah. We have it... a rule in, in our group <laughs> that whenever Daryl comes out, he gets killed on site. But I'm, I'm a person too that's like, uh, uh, I guess innovation is part of a game, else it'll become stagnant, right? 
I agree. Then, I don't think then, it needs to be. But yeah, I would. And restriction would, breeds creativity. Yeah. Their form of restriction is more like a uh, Venturi effect where they're being bottlenecked and they have nowhere else to go. I mean, 30 years, the game is not writing itself, right? They have to keep these, the Wizard of Coast has to keep developing new schemes, new ideas to keep it fresh and popping to beat all these other trading card games. Yeah. In order for them to stay relevant and even beat, you know, stay where we're buying cardboard for this expensive price that we pay as curators to keep us keep us appeased we need to keep getting more product and i think that's it's kind, kind of, of a hard game to balance well that's, that's what i'm getting at right is i i i like that we have this balance right i like that we have this separation between the colors right right and for me if i'm sitting down and playing a cube i like the fact that i see that separation i don't mind that there's blurs there i don't mind that there's cards like some blurs some blurs i don't i, I yeah. don't mind questing beast i even don't mind the phasing of zalfir i don't think it's I a particularly either. great card it, it fits so thematically with how the game has progressed with these kinds of cards that have crossed over there's going to be a drawback, right? Exactly how much of a drawback that it is, who knows? But where is this going to lead to cube design, right? And where where does sort of that end? I think either we evolve or we just time vault our cubes. We have to lock them down. I mean, for have me, you time vaulted your cube. No, for no. me, I'm moving forward. I'm just so making, we're going to move forward. Then, I'm going to march saying. forward and see what happens. Power creep is real. <laughs> I mean, the game seeks to evolve. It's going to go past the infra- franchise players because the idea is to garner new attention from new players. Sure. I mean, there's a point where we're not the peak audience any longer. That's the reality that. I, Anthony Uberbear, has accepted. Well, this has been a fun and very meta conversation. It is very meta. We wanted to be very philosophical in the idea of the benchmarks of what we've come to know as Magic the Gathering and Cube within our, our play group and, and the how the color pie defined each attribute that we expected, right? And how that is becoming eroded by innovation. But innovation is not a bad thing. It has to happen. And then we talked about how the framework of uh, using the paper, rock, scissors approach, although it does have fallacies, is a great way of uh, uh, framing or developing the basic ideas of the VIN chart before you start filling in the pieces with the color pie. And you now have yourself a cube that's starting to build. It's a skeleton of a cube. Yeah. Right. And and now that the colors are starting to the colors are bleeding. Right. Yeah. It's going to make it a little harder to do the VIN chart method. But you know what? We will evolve or you can choose not to put those cards in your cube. And maybe it just starts to make it a little easier if you're looking to cross pollinate, it makes card colors. evaluation more difficult. That that I will say as a closing remark. D- that, that that's interesting to me because, and that's another point that I wanted to bring up. And again, I ask these questions of you: is have you noticed examples of that where you're thinking, man, I I want to sort of link these colors yeah. and a couple of these archetypes, and hey, there's these cards out there that have crossed over into these, you know breakages of their identity but hey i'm looking for a card that might sort of match in and allow me to sort of blend a couple of colors and a couple of archetypes together and now i'm getting them organically rather than having to force everything around the archetypes yeah and we kind of and it's again tangent number 437 here we gotta do but but that even like in a tribal concept that's to bridge those different ideas together i have to find cards that bleed over like maybe it's a zombie and a vampire Or a, or a human or whatever, that crosses yeah. over and has attributes that these two different tribes would yeah. like. It's kind of the same concept. Of, co- of course, I'm looking for, the, you're looking you're right? looking for bridges in that. So using the Venn diagram as your idea, you need to have points where they bisect, 
or you've got crossover across pollination points for your different ideas. You don't want everything to be a separate entity. No. Right? It's separate constructed deck. You want cards to cross pollinate. Yeah, you don't want anyone to just pick up your cube and be like, right, if it's a, you know, a 360 so, and everyone's going to, you know, sort of draft that lane and they're gonna yeah. you're gonna get the same eight decks Dra- every draft, time. Draft on rails, right? Precisely. So color bleed over is inevitable with this game. Uh other than that, this has been really fun meta conversation. We've had a great time. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. We just wanted to benchmark a few things. We really focused on poor questing beast. So as always, thank you to all of our listeners. If you enjoy the show, we would really appreciate a five-star review on your favorite player. Drop a comment. Really goes a long way to getting us the exposure out there, getting us in the ears of all of the, the magic and the cube community. You can find us at Twitter. We are at UberCubeMTGPod. Uh, you reach out to us via email. We always love to check questions out and we'll respond to anyone that reaches out. You can find us ubercubemtgpodcast at gmail.com uh, and check out the Discord, man. We've had some great conversation going there recently about CubeCon and about cubes and uh, card one, choices and card choices all that kind of fun stuff as well. Uh, and we also do have a Patreon. Anthony, would you like to tell us about the Patreon? Yeah, so we've got a cool little Patreon you can check out. It'll help us keep the show alive and well and it has some uh, you know, some interaction points that you can check out. We just, uh, we just ask that you take a peek at it, see what you think, and we're always looking for your feedback and we truly appreciate you know everything that's happening right now so thank you to our listeners and thank you to our fans and other than that we're going to say the thing that we always say here at ubercube is happy Happy cubing. cubing